Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to our Night of Worldview. As you've already heard this evening, we are discussing the topic of parental rights in education and law. And as you can see from your sermon outline sheet, we've gone through and we put all of the key pieces kind of for our worldview nights. We've listed all of those on the front and also on the inside piece. That way we're not going over those each time we get together. But I do encourage you to at least take a moment and check it out. Um, those are pieces that were set up early on in our worldview nights. And it's important that we go back and we review those. It's going to describe, say, the eight primary categories that come together to form a person's worldview. It's going to give ideas as far as five goals for our worldview nights, as well as basic steps for developing a biblical worldview. So I want to encourage you, take some time and check out the pieces that are on that sermon outline sheet. And then there's also room for you to take notes for tonight. So this evening, the entire format is going to be broken down into four primary sections, and I've listed those four out on the side. We have an introduction and an overview. That's what I'm going to be doing tonight. I'm going to give an introduction for this topic. It's going to be one that many of you are very familiar with. You've been tracking things in the news. You've been advocating maybe for parental rights. You've been concerned about things happening in education, laws changing for a while. For others, it might be the first time they're brought into the conversation. So I don't want to take it for granted that everybody knows the pieces. We're going to kind of set a basic foundation, an overview, also describing why it is that we need to be concerned about some things, how to process those from a biblical worldview, and also kind of setting up steps for how it is that we can be about change, positive change. How do you live out your convictions in this? So I'm going to cover some of that. Then in part two, it is going to be a video interview with the Moorheads. That is Bill and John Moorhead. Many of you know them. Uh, they are right here, members of this church. They are attorneys. Both love the Lord. Both love this church. They love the, this country. They are passionate about a biblical worldview in helping parents in this area. So this last week, I got a chance to sit down, and we did a video interview, and we're going to show that. And they're going to walk through the origin of rights. Now, I've actually gone back and watched this twice. I was in it one time. I've watched it twice. And I was captivated by how clearly and concisely they brought together key parts of the argument. So I want to encourage you, even after tonight is done, this is a great resource to go back and say, did I understand that piece right? Stop it, pause it, write down some notes from the video that is coming out of this. So they're going to walk through the origin of rights. They're going to also talk about how those rights are shifting within our culture, some of the, the laws that are changing on that side. They're going to give an overview on what's happening within the U.S., but specifically they're going to address things taking place right here in the state of Georgia to equip families right here. A third part tonight is going to be a live interview that I'm going to do up on the stage, and I've got Erin Phillips who is going to be joining me on that. Erin is the co-founder. She is the president of Power to Parent Union, a nonprofit. She is an advocate for parents and parental rights. Under her leadership, that organization has grown to more than 10,000 members. They have chapters in six different states. She is unbelievably experienced at advocating on a local level, on a state level, and on a national level. So she is one of those people, if you want to find out what's happening in this arena, 
She is involved in that fight day in and day out. And then the final part, and I'm actually going to bring it into that conversation with Aaron, is we're going to talk about next steps. What are some things that you can do in order to be prepared, in order to be a part of the solution? So we have a lot we're covering tonight, so we need prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit guide us, God. Help us to know exactly what we need to know in this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we first started doing our worldview nights, one of the things that I said is there needs to be a place for Christians to be able to come together and have a Bible in one hand and have newspapers in the other and to be able to ask the question, how do I faithfully live according to this while facing these circumstances and living in this culture. And I don't know if you all are aware of it, but it used to be that the local church was the place that people came to be informed on the events of the day. Like, how do we process those things? And that's a part of why I wanted these nights to take place. So I gave some predictions for our worldview nights, and it's important I bring those back up. One of those predictions I gave is there's a really good chance everyone will get mad at least one time per evening. And some of you, it will be when we start, and it will end when we're done. Okay, so I I just, I want to throw that back out. If you get upset, that is a prediction that I've already given. Uh, Number two, I predict that a lot of people are going to realize that these issues are far more complex than what they originally thought. Uh, We get brought into silos of information sometimes, and that is whatever you begin to search online There are different algorithms that will keep loading you with the same exact information. And that's a part of the reason why it's so strange. You're like, why doesn't everybody see this? It's because they are not getting the same information you're getting. So a part of these nights is to begin to expose people and to help them see there's a lot more behind it. It's a complex issue that we're facing. Also, there's a strong possibility that people will walk away from these nights confused. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And the reason I say that is there is confused because you know nothing and confused because you now know something. And half the battle is knowing something about the battle. So if we move from confused knowing nothing to confused knowing something, that's at least a step in the right direction. All right, final part is there's going to be points in our conversation that will cause people to squirm. Embrace the squirm. Embrace the awkward. It's, it's going to be like, oh, that went there. Yes. Okay. And, and here's the thing. You all know, you, you've been listening to me for two years at this point. You know I'm going to do everything possible not to make things overly awkward. We're going to be gracious. We're going to walk through things. But there's just some things that once it comes out, like we need to know truth is truth. And as believers, if we can't talk truth within the church, I don't know where their place is at for that. So I want you to remember those pieces for tonight. You may not agree with everything. You may not understand everything. I recognize there's multiple layers to this conversation. Everyone has a story. Everybody has a place specific to their context. I get that. I also want to clarify, I'm not trying to cover every part of this. I'm simply trying to open up the conversation and equip people to be informed and equipped so that they know the basics of living out a biblical worldview. So we're going to start with this question. What are parental rights and why are they important? 
okay? I've got a definition that's down at the bottom of my board here. Parental rights include, but are not limited to, making decisions regarding children's education, discipline, and health care. These are decisions that are allowed to make according to the decisions in a manner consistent with the parents' values. I would say another part of that is parents must do so in order to promote their child's general health and their well-being. Simply stated, now this is, this is as simple as I can make it, children are born into families, not to the state. If we miss that part, then we're going to miss everything that's going to take place tonight. So because of that, the family is the basic relational unit of society. A parent's choices when it comes to upbringing and education of their children are fundamental rights that are protected by the U.S. Constitution. And these rights are pre-political. What I mean by that is a parental rights are natural rights that they exist before the state. They cannot be given and they cannot be taken away by the state. So according to the U.S. Supreme Court Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment, it protects parental rights. The court has repeatedly affirmed the protection of those rights. However, there was a shift that happened. Uh, there's going to be some shifts that you hear tonight from the Moorheads in this interview. But there was a shift that took place in 2000, and that is there is a court a case that was a fractured decision in a grandparent visitation case called Troxel versus Granville. That's going to be important. I listed it up on the top of the board. And while the court eventually said that the mother had parental rights to determine a child's visitation schedule, the justices did not clearly define the legal standard for protecting parental rights and the nature of those under the Constitution. And as a result of that, some of the lower courts have now used this Troxel case in order to chip away at parental rights within the last 23 years. Now, some states have tried to fix this problem by passing legislation in order to give parental rights the absolute protection that they deserve. However, that has not taken place everywhere. In fact, to show you how limited that is, as of today, 39 states have no statutes that expressly define and protect parental rights. 39 of your states. 47 states do not grant parents review of learning materials and activities in advance of teaching. And 12 states do not allow parents to be involved in their school's sex education academia at all. This, this is important what we're dealing with here. Now, I, I want us to pause. You are going to hear a lot tonight on this topic of parental rights and education. And there is a reason why you're going to hear a lot about that particular connection. And that is there is a movement by many, and, and you're going to hear this term tonight multiple times, progressives. And that's a term, don't be afraid of that term because that's the way they're describing themselves. It's, it's a term, they describe themselves as progressives. There is a movement by progressives, not all, but many, in order to align things within our country so that parents in the states are co-parents in the relationship with the kids. 
That's the alignment that is trying to come together. That is, parents are responsible for what takes place in the home, and the state is responsible for the education within schools. Here's the issue with that. A parent's authority and rights do not end when they drop their kids off at school. That's not the end of this thing. In fact, we need to be absolutely clear on this. God has given parents the charge. Parents, bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Parents are told that they are to train their kids to love the Lord and to teach them about loving God when they wake up and when they go to bed, when they go out and when they come in. That is a charge that is given to parents. Parents are told that they are to discipline their children and protect their children and provide for their children and care for their children and to bring their children up according to the values, the teachings, and the dictates of Scripture. Those are challenges given to parents. The state does not have the same directive. The state does not have the same goals. So I need to clarify another piece. And oh my goodness, please, please, please hear me on this. We're going to talk about how there's changes that are happening within public education. And I am unbelievably aware that there are a lot of great, godly, talented, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving teachers and administrators who work in public education. I am grateful to God for the calling he has placed on your life. Here's the reason that's important. In every field, there are going to be people who have convictions according to Scripture that in that field there are decisions that are made that do not align with those convictions. So, for example, as a pastor, every time there is an abuse scandal that happens within the church, every time there is a leadership scandal, every time there is a pastor that falls morally, because the virtue of my calling of being a pastor, I often see online there's memes and comments about, well, that's just what happens in the church. That's what takes place with pastors. Here's one of the reasons I'm not involved within the church. And every time I see that, I want to scream from the rooftops and say, what they did is wrong. That is sin. That is against Scripture. But every pastor doesn't do that. Every pastor does not live that way, act that way, support those things. Please do not paint every pastor in because of issues happening in other churches. I say that because I think if we're not careful, those who are involved in public education can feel as though they're getting painted in on something that they don't support. In fact, many times those in public education are coming to me saying, I feel caught between my convictions and what's coming down from the top that I'm being told I need to do. How do I prepare for that? What, what do I do when I feel like my job, my career's on the line? So please hear me. I am not attacking those who are teachers, administrators, students involved in public education. Being a part of public education does not mean a person supports and aligns with the things we're going to discuss tonight. All right, so let's address some of those concerns very quickly. In the case of Wisconsin versus Yoder, Supreme Court declared, and I quote, this primary role of parents 
in the upbringing of their children is now established beyond debate as an enduring American tradition, end of quote. So here's my question. Are parental rights secured as an enduring American tradition? Not nearly as much as what we hope they would be. There are four main areas. There's others, four main areas where parental rights are under attack. Medical settings, education, child welfare cases, as well as when parents have disabilities. Now, let me be clear. There are circumstances in which a child is being abused in the home. They are neglected. They are malnourished. They are in need of medical attention. And it is necessary for someone to step in on behalf of that child in order to protect and to advocate for the most vulnerable of society. I get that. I don't know of any Christian out there, I don't know of anybody who is a part of civilized society who has a desire and a heart for people that is going to say children should be abused. That is not what we're describing here. So I know that there are those cases where that needs to happen, but what's taken place is that necessity of stepping in in those cases has now opened the door in order for the state to step in in other areas. That's where the concern is at. So here's some of the questions that parents are having to battle through right now. When it comes to education, who determines what my child should learn? Should your child be forced to sit in and listen to sexually explicit books and lessons as young as kindergarten and pre-K? Should they be forced to sit in on that? Does the parent have the right to say, I'm not okay there? When it comes to vaccines or medical care, who determines what your child receives? Should it be the state or should it be the parent? When it comes to topics like sex education, gender identity, sexual orientation, all of which are being entrenched within education, does the parent have the right to say, I'm not okay with my child sitting in and listening? Should the parent be notified if their 13-year-old daughter is about to get an abortion? Should the parent know about it? We're going to address this tonight. And here's my thing. I'm just a simple guy. I'm very simple in how I think about things. If your child cannot go on a field trip without a parental consent form being signed... Why in the world do we think it is okay for them to have a major medical altering, life altering surgery and the parents not even know what's going on? And those are the battles that we're facing right now in our country. Should the parents be notified if their 15-year-old child is struggling with gender dysphoria and is taking steps to transition? Should kids and young people be taught culturally divisive ideas such as critical race theory or intersectionality. I'm going to address both of those on our worldview nights, but just know, if you've not studied those yet, both are antithetical to the gospel message, and both of those have Marxist ideology underpinning them. We're going to come back on those. Do parents have the right to teach their children biblical values, and do those kids have the right to live them out in school without fear of expulsion or harm? The list of these questions just goes on and on. So here are a couple of headlines, and by the way, I'm constantly collecting headlines, reading what's taking place in culture. These are just a few of those. 
Parental rights, a casualty of the transgender revolution. Listen to the very first part of this. If the medical establishment deems transitioning in the best interest of a legal minor and the parents object on moral or religious grounds, legal precedent now exists that suggests the parental rights can be severed in the interest of continuing transgender orthodoxy. This is not uncommon. These are common places that are happening right now. Here's another one. New Jersey judge temporarily blocks school districts from notifying parents of child's gender identity change. Here's another one. This one came out of the Politico. A dim split on whether parents must know their child is having an abortion. Here's another one. Washington bill to allow medical transgender interventions on minors without parental consent. Here's another one. Sex and gender ideology in New Jersey's K through 12 curriculum. And it lists out, this is what your child is learning. This is what they're being exposed to in kindergarten. I, I don't know if you all know this, but many of you are my age, if not older. And, and there was a time when kids just got a chance to be kids. I mean, like the, the worst thing they had to worry about is when the street lights went off, you needed to be back in your house. They... they did not have to worry about going to kindergarten when you were learning your ABCs and learning how to color and somebody describing and forcing gender ideology pieces down a child's throat. That is so different than the world we grew up in. Those are a few of those headlines. So you're going to hear tonight, we're gonna move and transition this next piece into this interview. I want you to hear from Bill as well as John Moorhead as they discuss this. And again, listen to the clarity of how they break down the origin of rights and the transitions that are happening within our country at this time. So let's go ahead and roll that part of the video. So we want to welcome you guys to an interview that I am doing right now with two of my friends. I have Bill as well as John Moorhead. Both are attorneys. Uh, not only who love the Lord, they love this country, um, they're a part of Sherwood. And so many of you already know them, but there's also going to be some of you who are watching online that you might not know the Moorheads. And so they are joining me today and we're having a conversation about parental rights, about education, and about law. So that being said, I'm going to turn it over and just, guys, thank you for being here first. Thank and uh, also for, for people who don't know you all as maybe as closely as what we do or some of the members at Sherwood, um, just maybe, John, if you would, just kind of give a, a brief introduction, help people know who you guys are, what you're about, how long you've been practicing, and why you're passionate about this particular topic. Sure, sure. Well, I'm John, and this, of course, is my dad, Bill. We've been practicing law uh, together for 20 years, and uh, my dad's been practicing for uh, more than double that. So uh, you do the math. But at any rate, um, we're here in Albany. We love Sherwood. We love being here. We love the opportunity to come talk with you about these important issues. Um, we're both double dogs, uh, University of Georgia undergrad and law school. And um, I know that you're a dog as well. And so that, that there's some consolidarity there. But, there is. But at any rate, um, <laughs> but we've, we've, we appreciate you asking us to come and talk. And we, we've We've got a lot of thoughts to share with you regarding these subjects. And, and so I want us to jump right in on this because it is an important topic. 
um, for parents who need to know what's happening just for their own family, for concerned citizens, for believers. Um, this is an important topic. So if you all would just kind of set some things up. We've talked through a little bit of this already as far as just some of the research that you all have done and why this is so important. So I just kind of want to turn it over for you guys, maybe three to five minutes just sharing some of the basics to help bring people into the conversation as to why they need to be concerned about some issues. All right, well, well Paul, to, to begin things off, this is such an important topic because it it is embedded in what we call the culture war that's going on in this country. And I greatly appreciate you, you having your worldview night so that the you know, the, the church itself can start to engage and understand the language that's surrounding it and all of that. But basically, there's two worldviews that we're looking through. One is the Christian worldview, one is the secular worldview, also called the progressive worldview. There are two ways in which you can look at our country. One is that God is the giver of rights to the individual, and then that the individual then cedes those rights to the collective and that's what we call government. The opposing worldview is that man creates rights through government and then cedes some of those rights to the individual. So as you can see, there's two opposite ways of viewing from where rights come and who controls those rights. All right? yes. As a Christian, we believe that God grants the individual the right, you know, the inalienable rights that we have as, uh, as people that is recognized in our foundational documents as a country. That is under attack because there are a lot of people who, A, don't believe in God, and B, want to control people through the control of rights. Yes. All right? And so we call those, in this conversation, progressives. So culture is nothing more than what a person or a society believes coupled with what that person or society does. So the way I see it is the worldview, one's worldview is the prism through which they developed their beliefs. And then, of course, those beliefs translate into action through culture. And we're in the middle of a culture war between those um, who believe in the historic rights, the historic way our country has run for hundreds of years versus those who are trying to fundamentally change the way the United States is and what it does. That's right. Dad, you want to go through some of, the, some of the legal foundation that they've used to fight their war? Well, you know, as John indicated in the Declaration of Independence, it says that uh, we are hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, those rights in the, the Christian foundation that they represent uh, were recognized in our Constitution and through constitutional law up until 1947. Until that time, uh, schools and the public and all could promote Christianity in a constitutional way. Mm. In 1947, uh, a case was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court, Everson v. Board of Education. And in that case, the court held that there must be a separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. They founded that on the First Amendment Establishment Clause. And from that point forward, 
they had a series of cases that occurred mainly in the 1960s that struck down prayer in public schools, Bible reading in public schools, Ten Commandment displays, and other things that would be essential for the parents to be able to properly educate their children through public schools in the Christian faith. Yeah. So it became uh, a completely secular type uh, environment. And, and uh, of course, that's where we are today. Correct. In this cultural war, the progressives started with really controlling the colleges and universities and liberalizing those, secularizing those. And what we're seeing now is we're seeing a national push to push those ideas and that battle, if you will, from the universities down into primary school, high school, middle school, elementary school even at this yes. point. And what they're doing is they're trying to shift who is in charge of the education and religious rearing and upbringing of the children. They're trying to shift that away from parents having those rights, yep. keeping in mind that we believe that God gave the parent the right to have that. They're shifting that over to man having those rights and responsibilities through the school systems. Mm. All right, And so, so there's a battleground going on right now that's waging extremely um, progressive movement to change our children's viewpoints in life at the foundational level of, of identity politics, of, of weight, you know, creating one people group against another people group yep. ideology yep. at a young, young age, and they're also waging that war in gender identity yes. politics. And uh, Georgia, fortunately, is attempting to push back on that battlefront through legislation, which, which you can go into. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased to report that here in Georgia, I think that there are some positive strides that have been made w really within the last uh, 14 months. Wonderful. In um, July of last year, we had the Parents' Bill of Rights that went into effect, and we had um, the uh, ban on divisive ideology. This year, just July the 1st of this year, we had uh, a ban on uh, treatment of gender dysphoria with surgical procedures for a minor. Yes. So this has happened just recently. Let me tell you how these things work. Okay. The uh, Parents' Bill of Rights is significant because it is a recognition by the state of Georgia that parents have what they call an inalienable right, like the Declaration of Independence, to uh, be in charge of their children's um, upbringing and education. So, and that cannot be interfered with by the school system or the state of Georgia. So that's, that vests in the parents the right that God has already put there. Yes. So we, we have that, and the rights that the parents have to be able to to control their education uh, is they have a right to all the instruction material during the first two weeks of every nine-week grading period. Mm -hmm. They can go in, they can uh, meet with the teachers, they can have copies of everything that's being taught, and uh, if any of it is objectionable, then they can object to it. Yes. Now, uh, they, can't, they cannot necessarily 
opt out of everything, but they can object to it and they'll know what it is. Uh, number two, um, they have the right to be able to opt out of things that they feel are um, so contrary to the way they're bringing their children up that it would, it would negate it. Yes. So they have a right to opt out of those. One such uh, thing that they can opt out of is a matter of right that's in the Bill of Rights is sex ed. Mm. If they feel like what's going to be taught is contrary to their, their viewpoint, they can just opt out of that. One other thing that we think probably needs to be opted out is uh, surveys and mm -hmm. other things that are conducted. A lot of these surveys um, come from the progressive side and they ask things that are very intrusive, uh, like uh, what are your sexual preferences? Yes. What is your uh, family's religious uh, affiliation? What's your family's political views? How much income have you got, et cetera? Things that really should be private. Yes. And so a parent can use an opt-out form at the very beginning and say, I opt out for my student to be able to uh, participate in these things. It, it's wonderful to even hear that those are some options, of which I know that a lot of parents might not even know that's a possibility right there. So that's, mm -hmm. that's good news to hear for sure. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and more, more and more parents need to exercise their, their, their statutory right to see that curriculum at the very beginning of the process, at the beginning, the first two weeks of a semester or a school year, because it is my experience that things that are observed oftentimes correct themselves mm -hmm. without action having to be taken otherwise, right? Yes. So the more people know that there's, there's uh, clarity in, in what is being taught, there's accountability, having to give a parent what you're intending to teach their child um, might cause people to show more restraint than if no one shows up on curriculum day and they can do whatever they want to do. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then uh, the last thing that uh, just came up this year was uh, a ban on certain surgical procedures for uh, the treatment of ginger, gender dysphoria in minors. Mm -hmm. Now this is where a a child wants to be a member of a different sex, mm -hmm. born a boy but wants to be a girl or vice versa. This ban prevents uh, medical personnel from giving uh, uh, sex changing hormones and puberty blockers and also engaging in sex reassignment surgery. Mm. Uh, this became effective July 1 and I'm sorry to say that already by today's date, August the 23rd, uh, it's been enjoined by a federal court. Yes. So we're, we're going to see how that plays out. But it, uh, the reassignment of sex surgery, that is, that, that's not enjoined, but the hormones and, and other uh, treatments are. And if you're, you know, if you're just tuning in to the culture war, and this may be shocking to you that, that we would have to have a statute that says that, here, here's what's kind of going on nationally. There's a, there's a movement, there's a movement that is trying to uh, convert guidance counselors at schools into becoming certified social workers, you know, having the same uh, mental health certifications as a, you know, a, a social worker or a psychologist so that they can treat mental illness within the student population at school.
you take that a next step further, they're also trying to link that social worker, that guidance counselor, uh, into the Medicaid funding, all right, so that they can direct that student who generally has, has no funds to a government source of funding. And then they're funneling or they're creating the ability of those minor students to get access to these gender-changing treatments. Mm. And they're also attempting to do that without having to notify the parents about what's going on under the guise of this is mental health treatment that this child should have a right to independent of the parents. And so these kind of statutes are in response to that, trying to cut off the end result, which would be the medical provider actually prescribing the drug or doing the operation or procedure, uh, regardless of whether a parent consents or whether it, the parent doesn't know about it, but some other third party is you know, providing the opportunity to the child. So that's, that's why these things are starting to show up in our laws. Okay. So just in what we've covered so far, these are issues that impact a child's identity, they impact a child's past, they impact um, a child's education, they impact a child's relationship with their own parents, impacts the parents' ability to transfer their faith and their beliefs and their convictions to their kids. Like all of these things are impacted right now because of just different changes. And you did a great job of setting it up on on the idea of there are rights that are given by God directly to the individual. Mm -hmm. That's one view. And then there are rights that have been given by the government to individuals and how those are um, simultaneously two completely different worldviews and ideologies. That's correct. Okay, so we only got a few moments left. Yeah. So next two to three minutes. What can you do? What can you do? Yeah. Like if people are concerned, what yeah. do they do? All right. Well, the, the very first thing is that people need to understand that we are in a culture war, that maybe this, maybe this discussion is just a taste, uh, an introduction to the issues. If they're much deeper than the, the minutes we've had. Get involved. Yeah. Educate yourself. Understand what's going on. The second thing is once you educate yourself, you'll understand what to be praying for. No, no, you know, it will take your general prayers for the country down to very specific prayers for your community, your children, your grandchildren, you, you know, children in general. Um, you need to consider organizing groups at various local schools so that you can have a little bit more influence, a little yeah. bit more um, uh, power when it comes to facing the school board or, or, or a teacher group that mm -hmm. is trying to teach these ideologies. Dad, what else can they do as far as specifics with regard to the schools? Well, I, I think it's very important that every parent become much, much more involved with their child. We're, we're dealing with ideologies here that are completely contrary to the Christian uh, worldview. And if you just send your, your children to school and expose them to all this, they're, they're not going to come back the same way. We've seen that for decades now when you send kids off to college, they completely change. Mm. You know, they may be a nice, fine Christian young man or woman and go off to college and they come back different, yep. radical person. I do want to say this to everyone. I know that there are a lot of people that just look at all that's going on and they throw their hands up and, and say, I can't do everything. Mm. 
I just want to say to them, that doesn't mean you can't do anything. Mm. And you need to find where you can get plugged in. There are local groups, there are PTAs, there are uh, other concerned citizens with whom you can affiliate and, and try to do something to bring about positive change. Good. Yeah. Good. So one of the pieces that you all just shared is for parents who, who honestly, they're trying to find out, like, what do I do as far as for my family? Maybe they don't live in the state of Georgia. They're not sure about laws elsewhere. How do you find out more and educate yourself? And this is a book, uh, Laws, Rules, and Rights uh, by Kelly Brawley, that this one gives a lot of information that could be very helpful for people to try to find out a little bit more specific of legislative matters, laws, issues that impact their family. So, all right. Thank you all for your time. Thank you for being here and sharing and the research that you've done to help inform uh, other parents and other believers about what's taking place in our culture right now. Thank you all. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having us. Yeah. All right. All right, so hopefully you all have now heard a little bit more, even from a legal perspective of where things are at. And if you all would, just please welcome Aaron Phillips to the stage, if you would. I'm excited that she is here. Um, so not only is she an advocate for parental rights and families, um, but also uh, she and Matt have been friends of ours now for uh, 20 years. If you remember this morning, Matt was our guest worship pastor up on the stage. And uh, in fact, if you go all the way back to when we started the church in the home, Matt and Aaron were a part of those initial meetings. So that's how far back that relationship goes. So Aaron, I have done a poor job of just trying to briefly give an overview of what you do and how long you've been doing it and what's taking place with Power to Parent Union. So if you would, just kind of set that up and share with people a little bit more about what that journey has looked like for you. Sure. So um, my name is Erin. Uh, I'm a mom. First and foremost, I have five kids. And uh, when I was uh, home with my kids, I ended up, this was about eight years ago, going to a school board meeting because someone mentioned that they were going to talk about sex education. And so I attended that meeting and I found out very quickly that I was the only parent at this meeting, first of all, which was a huge red flag. Uh, but the guide that they introduced in this meeting was called um, Sexuality Education K through 12. And so I was really concerned as I was going through this guide with the topics that they were wanting to teach kids as young as kindergarten. And so I began to do some research, speak to the people who were putting this guide forward, and I realized very quickly also I was getting a lot of pushback from my elected official, my trustee, uh, couldn't get the answers I needed, and as I went down the rabbit hole, I realized the issue really wasn't about sex education. This was an issue about social engineering, and they were using sex education sort of as a guise to get into the schools. And um, so I began to just inform other parents. Again, I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. Uh, I just started to call other parents and give them this guide and just show them the information, and parents got very upset. And uh, long story short, we ended up bringing a few hundred parents to a school board meeting, um, just reading sections of that, 
curriculum in front of the school board. Um, the news came, we ended up having that guide pulled and then issued an apology from the superintendent. And in Clark County, it's the fifth largest school district in the country, so we ended up with some national news. And um, there was a, a clear understanding for me at that point that we needed to have a group that was organized around this issue so that we could elevate parents and make sure these things wouldn't happen again. It's huge. One, the fact that there is importance and power in showing up, be at those meetings, and bringing other parents as well. And so that's, it's huge. So you are focused on parental rights. That's what Power to Parent Union is focused on like 24-7, it seems like. So there are all sorts of issues that are happening, but maybe what are three or four of what you might consider to be some of the biggest issues that are happening right now with parental rights and for concerned parents, citizens, who are like, where do I even start? Yeah. Like you would say, you need to be focused on these three or four issues. Like every time you re read a news story, like let alarm bells go off in your mind. Yeah. What would those be? Well, and I think, you know, some of the gentlemen already have given some examples, but I think specifically this idea of education and curriculum is one that we focus on really heavily. And, um, you know, you look at this idea that in our justice system that people have to be proved um, innocent, they're assumed innocent before they're proven guilty. In this kind of system that we're in, this culture that we're in, parents have to essentially, they're having to prove that they're not guilty. So there's this pr presumption of guilt in the parent where the pa they're saying, you're not going to teach sex ed at home, for example, or you're not going to teach it correctly, so we have to teach it at school. And so you see in education and curriculum issues related to sex education, to gender identity, uh, controversial historical events um, being taught. Uh, we had talked earlier about this idea of linguistic theft. Uh, this is an idea that, you know, we've talked about a lot in my organization where you take a word that everyone has sort of accepted a definition for um, and a sort of progressive definition is replaced. And so you're saying the same thing, for example, like abuse of a child. You talk about abuse, we can kind of agree you mentioned what abuse is when you're physically abusing a child uh, and some of those other things, but they're talking about um, not affirming um, an identity. Yes. And then now that's considered abuse. So the idea of linguistic theft underneath that umbrella of education and curriculum. Um, there's a lot of Marxists, you mentioned this, Marxist and humanistic ideology that's being put into curriculum. And uh, I think when you're talking to a Christian audience, you know, this is really important because we were sort of discussing why that's um, really dangerous. But if you are, um, if you're pushing this humanistic, it's... It, this humanistic ideology, you have to kill God, essentially, yes. um, in order for the highest form of authority to be the government. And so that's what you're seeing in a lot of this curriculum is this Marxist ideology. Um, the next big one is obviously medical decision making. And um, in Nevada, we have no parental notification for abortion laws. So a girl, as young as she can become pregnant, can go be taken by anyone and be given an, an abortion. She can obtain an abortion in Nevada. And, um, and those laws are all over the country. That's one of the things that some of these progressive groups are funding to try to either change the law, or remove parental notification, um, not even consent. So notification is a lesser kind of burden right there. Um, and then, you know, we saw this with vaccines over COVID. This became a big kind of hot topic in medical decision making. Obviously, when you're talking about gender ideology and transitioning, uh, that's happening under, you know, outside the, the parental, not even just parental authority, but, but parents don't even know that's happening. It's being hidden in yeah. schools. So that's a big one. Um, 
And then I think one that is lesser talked about but is really important is this idea of online sort of digital privacy. And, you know, that's something where I, I have seen, I've been encouraged seeing some states pass laws where they're requiring age verification, for example, for social media and for um, some of these pornography sites and things like that. But it doesn't exist widely. And so that's an issue, too, as far as parental rights. How do we protect our kids and their privacy online? That's good. Yeah. So one of the things that we've already discussed is that there are Christian educators, uh, administrators, those yeah. who work within public education, that they hold the same biblical values that, that we hold, that we're describing here. Um, and sometimes they're caught like, what do I do? How do, sometimes how do I change the, the system from inside, yeah. what are the resources that we might have? Do, do I have the, the opportunity to be able to speak up without fear of losing my pension and losing my job and just say, I don't agree with this? So yeah. what, are, what would you tell people in that situation? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I, my mom is a public school teacher and, you know, I, I loved what you said earlier that these teachers and, and administrators are going into these environments and they are, they are a light in this environment and we're right. so grateful for those teachers and we need them. Uh, in those spaces, but at the same time, we know that they're serving in environments that oftentimes are hostile to their faith and they don't feel supported and um, they may be feeling coerced to join unions that are hostile and go sort of against their core beliefs. And so I think, um, number one, you know, thank you if you're a teacher or if you're an administrator yes. and, you know, for serving in that space. And the majority of kids, you know, they, they're going to be in a public school setting. Yeah, many of us have the opportunity to put our kids in a public or a private school or a homeschool or some other options, but majority of kids in this country are, are in a public school. So that's a huge uh, mission field. But um, I think it's really important as a teacher to know your rights yeah. and know that you have the right to express your beliefs um, as long as it's done in, you know, an appropriate manner and, um, and under the kind of policies of your school. Um, but I think it's really important to seek support on the side of um, knowing that you don't have to be a part of a union. I think that's really important. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's our, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit trail, sure. but, you know, a lot of teachers have left the union and, and realized that they don't need the support of the union. There's other organizations like Christian Teacher Association, Christian Educators Associations that exist out there that provide the same values and benefits of a public sector union, like a teacher's union. Um, and so those resources are out there. And then, you know, honestly, I, I think as a Christian, there is going to be a line that you can't cross at some point. And, you know, we're seeing all over right now, there's a, you probably have heard of the story of a teacher that um, was asked to keep secret a transition of a child that, that was kind of the policy they were passing down to the teachers. And she said, I can't lie to these parents. And they said, that's our policy, that's we're protecting the child. So ultimately, Ultimately, she said, I can't, you know, I can't do that, and, and they fired her. And so now she uh, has a legal case, yeah. and so there's a, a number of organizations, which I know you're, you've already mentioned a couple, but uh, Pacific Justice Institute, um, the Alliance Defending Freedom, ACLJ, these are all organizations that are in there helping people when they have teachers, parents, you know, employers, employees, when there's issues that affect religious liberty specifically. Yeah. And so hopefully she'll win that case and really set a precedent. Uh, that's, it's huge. So something that I'm glad you brought up is that your mom, Linda, she's yeah. a public school teacher. <laughs> um, you've got kids in public school. Yeah. Our kids grew up in public school. Mm -hmm. 
So when we're describing these things, it, it's not one of those of like, hey, we're outside of that area. Like this was a decision for myself and Bria that every single year we would have to say, what's going on? It is, do they stay in? Do they come out? And one of the pieces that was finally a part that we needed to step away from, and when you're saying like sometimes there's a line, is when it was mandated that a guy could go into the restrooms, locker rooms, and facilities as long as he is saying, I identify as a girl, and our girls were gonna be in there. And I was like, I, I cannot in good conscience as their dad place them in that environment. But we were not given an option, so that's the time that we came out and we did a charter school system at that point. Um, but a piece that I, I wanna go back and emphasize again is I praise God for godly teachers and administrators. Let me stress that again. I praise God for you because you are in an area and a type of ministry that a lot of people will not be in. And if you think there's problem in education now, take out those who love the Lord and those who are concerned about kids and you're gonna see problems exponentially get worse. So one of the things that we do at the beginning of a school year is we're praying over our teachers and administrators and kids going back in, not only in public school, but private school as well. They need our prayers. Like there is a battle that they are having to fight against. And so we need to be supportive of what's going on. So uh, real quick, um, how important is it for parents to be involved in those meetings, like school board meetings, like, yeah. like kind of give a little bit more on that yeah. if you would. So. <laughs> well, I mentioned I have five kids, and so, you know, I, I understand the burden on parents that, you know, getting so, so, so involved in every detail of your child's education is, is a lot. It's a lot of work. Um, and so, but what I know for sure is that when parents unite together in this kind of, this, you know, in this way like we have done over and over, it's, there's so much power in that. Yeah. And so just, you know, joining or, or even being a part of an organization like mine, what, you know, we try to do is we try to um, watch those meetings and have sort of, you know, share the burden so that we can tell parents what's going on because it's, it's difficult to be in, at every meeting. Um, but it is so important because you have this collective voice when you're there. Um, I think one of the attorneys had mentioned just kind of bringing light to things oftentimes, um, you know, kind of makes that situation better. And absolutely, when you bring a couple hundred parents to a school board meeting, people get they get real uncomfortable. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> there is bad discomfort and there's good discomfort uh -huh. right there. That's some good discomfort. So. Yeah, yeah. But it, it just brings this level of accountability that right. is so, so vital, in, especially in the public education sector, but private educa education as well. That's right. Yeah. It, it, this is not specific just to no. public education. It, there's a lot that goes on in private schools as well, yeah. 100%. So last piece, and then we're gonna kind of bring together some final parts of how people can be involved. And this is, this is one of those topics that is hotly debated. So when I said be ready to squirm, I, I wanna give you that you know, kind of preface again. There is a conversation that's been politicized that was not a political conversation even 10 to 12 years ago on school choice. And a part of the reason for this is because school choice is focused on the fact of, for a parent who is concerned, do they have the right, like school choice, to take 
the funds that would have gone in one school and then go and put it towards another school. Like, if they're concerned, do they have the right to do that? And I don't know if you all knew this. When I say this was not a political thing even 10 to 12 years ago, school choice was supported by President Clinton, by President Obama, by others, and it became politicized only in recent years. So the issue really came back to a fact of of parents who they feel caught Mm -hmm. sometimes. They're like, we cannot afford to send our kids to a private school. We, We got two incomes coming. We can't afford to do homeschooling. Like, what are their options in that? So mm-hmm. working in the fifth largest school district, and I know this is something that you address with people all the time, and, and I know you do it in a non-political way because, quite honestly, there's people from both sides of the aisle that see the importance of what is going to be best for the child mm-hmm. and how do you support families. So just a couple of thoughts for those who maybe it's their first time even hearing about, like, school choice there. Yeah. So, you know, just to start out, I, there's been tons of surveys done and over 70% of people surveyed in, in the whole country uh, support school choice. This idea of that, you know, that every child deserves a quality education and we should find the option that works for them. So to your point, it really isn't that controversial when you actually have conversations with people. It's, That's right. Yeah, when you involve politicians. But um, when you look at this idea that as a society, we have agreed to um, invest in education through our tax dollars. That's something we have agreed to do. Um, and so we have to decide wh- what we're investing in. So is that money, um, if these, child, these children are failing or the schools aren't working for them, um, what's the return on investment of those tax dollars? And, so, and then at the same time, if that funding is going towards a child, and then it, it, instead of funding an institution, um, then you know, we're, getting, we're getting more return on our investment for the tax dollars that we've already agreed to essentially invest. So there's that piece. Uh, it's just far as that funding following the child. Um, but at the same time, you know, you look at this kind of culture that we're living in where everything has become political, everything has become um, polarized, and um, not not every environment is a one-size-fits-all. So right. every child learns differently, every family has a different set of values, and so if, if, that, um, if that particular school, that institution isn't, isn't um, meeting the standard of that family or that child, then we should be able to find that child an education that fits for them. Yeah. So, so I think that's like the not most simple non-political kind of answer. Um, but on the other side, you can see that um, you add this level of competition when you add school choice in. Because right now, you kind of have this education establishment where when a, when a public school fails, uh, oftentimes they're given more money and more resources. But that's not how the real world, world really works. So if you are, are own a business and your business is failing, no one's giving you more money. I mean, mm-hmm. your business fails. And so, you know, we we're kind of propping up these institutions that are not working and putting more and more money into those institutions um, instead of uh, b- putting competition into the market so that, that these other um, the people are going to be competing for these kids. And then ultimately what that does is it allows us to do more with less. Mm-hmm. So kids who have access to these uh, school choice, um, especially states like Florida have had really robust school choice for a long time, they, uh, they, they, it costs less to educate the kids because there's competition for those kids. And when you have competition, you, uh, there's so many benefits, but that's one of the biggest benefits as far as financially. And then the kids are the ones who obviously thrive. Sure. And, and yeah. parents have that opportunity to be able to help place them in yeah. an environment that that sometimes aligns with their convictions and yeah. values and, and those things. So yeah. 
as we close out, we're just going to go through like a couple of next steps. I mean, this is two mm-hmm. to three minutes. Um, I put a couple of these on there as far as what parents can do. Uh, those who are concerned about it, I, I would say one, being prayerful. Mm-hmm. We always, always have to bring prayer into the conversation. Pray for godly leaders. Pray for godly teachers. Pray, um, pray that God would work in our school systems. Um, another one I would say there is be engaged civically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to say you need to vote for anyone as far as like we're not going to say vote for this person. Vote, but you need to vote. Mm-hmm. You need to be engaged right there. And I'll tell you one of the issues is citizens usually get really, really excited about big national elections and we just don't show up in nearly the same numbers on a local level. But the issue is your kids are being educated on a local level. That's where you're living is on a local level. You're dealing with this. So like when men and women do not exercise those rights, we're going to see more issues that continue to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, one of those that Bill Moorhead brought out is parents being engaged with their kids. You cannot take away the importance of a parent knowing what's happening with their kids. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge piece. And then also, I, I'll say this, be vigilant to protect constitutional rights. Amen. Now, there might be situations down the road, might be, that we lose some of those rights. God forbid that to be the case. But if we have those now, and we do not do everything we can to protect the liberties that God has given us today, like, we're going to be the ones paying the price on that. So be vigilant in protecting those. So do you have anything that you'd like to add to this list? Yeah, well, I just love that earlier today you were talking about godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And it's one of those things with our kids that, um, you know, we're raising godly kids and we're teaching them how to think critically and and teaching them what they believe and why they believe. And this idea of of wisdom and foolishness is so important to teach our kids. Because, I mean, sometimes I feel like I have my own Project Veritas embedded into my kids' public or private school, any school, (laughs) because I get pictures from my kids midday or like recording the teachers. I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, (laughs) But my kids, (laughs) but my kids know what what we believe and they know why we believe it and and we're, we're, we're a team. Yeah. And so I think that's huge is just like you're saying, being engaged with your kids, but that's, I think, knowing how to have those conversations and helping them know what they believe and why they believe. And, um, you know, you already said almost everything else on my list. So, but, you know, I always say vote because I, I tell parents that your school board trustee probably has more effect on your day-to-day life than even, you know, who is your congressperson. And so, but we think about those people a lot. Um, And and a lot of people don't even vote for school board. They don't even know who they are. And those people really, really affect our day-to-day with our kids. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So here's a couple of pieces. I put these resources up on the board for everyone. And that is, if you would like to know more about what's happening with parental rights, and not only from a national level, but also from Christian perspective. Uh, One of those that we have over here is PowerToParent.org. This is the organization that Aaron is president of. And so if you want to find out some of those battles, um, check these sites out over here. A a great thing about sites like this is they are in the day-to-day thick of things where you might not be able to stay up on every new challenge that's coming along, but they condense a lot of information down 
into many times a monthly newsletter that's coming out just to give people an idea of what's taking place. So axes.org, poweredapparent.org. She mentioned Alliance Defending Freedom. This is a group that literally works many of your religious liberty issues on a national level. One, an amazing organization, so adflegal.org, also parentalrights.org. If you want to see what's happening on a state-to-state level and say, where are they aligning on these things, that's one. And then also, I would say ERLC, Ethics Religious Liberty Commission.com. That is specific to Southern Baptists. I don't even know if a lot of people recognize that as Southern Baptists, we have an entire branch within SBC Life that is specifically focused on these legal challenges on a national level. So they do a piece called The Weekly. It's a a simple newsletter, comes out every Friday. It's one that I've been subscribed to for years. It's a great way to find out what's taking place just on a national level, but also specific to Christian values and principles. So hopefully tonight, you at least got a taste of what's going on. You all did really, really well for some squirmy situations, so I'm very proud of you on that side. So let's have a word of prayer and we will be finished. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. God, I pray that you would give wisdom to parents, wisdom to leaders, wisdom for teachers and administrators. Lord, may we see more and more of a biblical worldview developed even in a culture that many times is hostile to it. God, thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.